gift and kindness that you've poured out in our lives. Thank you for allowing us to be here today, to have a place where we can come and sing your praises and hopefully minister to and encourage each other and set before the teaching and preaching of your word. We pray for the help of the Spirit. We know that all is in vain unless you come and work among us and work in us. We can't really hear unless you open our ears. We can't see unless you open our eyes. I can't preach unless you enable me to preach by the help of your spirit we can't you know we can't communicate divine things without divine aid and without divine enabling and our hearts are so dull so hard and our minds are so distracted and so troubled that often we simply do not seem to have the capacity to hear your voice we pray lord that you would break through all the static of life all the static of the problems and difficulties and the burdens and the distractions. And for a time this morning, help us to come to you, to worship you, and to listen to you, to hear you. We pray that you would do that mighty work that only you can do, where the living God has an exchange between the soul of one of his creatures. And we meet with you, and we hear from you, and we experience your presence. Forgive us of our sins. They're more than can be counted. And Lord, we know that they're only covered and washed away by the blood of our our Savior, the Lord Jesus. But help us today, we pray. And may your name be magnified. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, be finding your way to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. We're coming down to the end of what has been a pretty lengthy exposition of Hebrews and uh, we're in the last two chapters halfway through the basically nearly halfway through the second to last chapter and uh, we're going to look at one verse uh, this morning Lord willing hopefully see its connection to the verses that are around it and consider the significance of of what the Holy Spirit is saying to us through the human author. I believe the human author was Paul, and I may be proven wrong about that in heaven, but I believe it was Paul. I believe there's good evidence that it was Paul. And uh, But ultimately, the writer is the Lord himself. The Holy Spirit is the great giver of Scripture. So when we come to the Word of God, we're coming to hear God speaking to us through Scripture. It's not the words of a man. If that man is faithfully communicating what thus says the Lord. You know, it's not just that, um, you know, if, if if Jeff brings me a message from someone else and he faithfully communicates what that other person wanted me to know, it's not Jeff's message, it's the other person's message that's being delivered. And so it is with the proclaimer of the Word of God. If he's faithful to what God has said, he is proclaiming what God has said. <clears throat> And that's important. It's important that we teach our kids that. And here's why. They don't need to go to church thinking, well, mom and dad made me go listen to a man talk. What weight does that have? They need to learn that when they come to the house of God, that they're coming to hear what God said to them. Their creator says to them as a creature. What they're, the one who gave them life and existence and being has to say to them and that matters 
It don't matter. Grover's opinions and thoughts and philosophies are worthless, but the Word of God is priceless. And it should be honored and it should be heard. Well, let's read our verse this morning. It's verse 14, Hebrews chapter 12. And verse 14, strive, I think the King James renders it follow, follow, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Well, most of you probably have, have realized this. You've probably been reading through the Word of God, maybe probably several times in the course of your spiritual life, and you've come across a verse that when you read it, it just kind of shocked you. You know, if you, you know, there, every once in a while, you'll just be reading down through the text of Scripture, and you'll come across a verse, or you'll come across a statement that if you let it register what is being said, it will be a serious sobering and sometimes shocking statement that has been made. And whenever you come to a verse like that or whenever you come to a portion of scripture like that, you basically can do one of three things. One of the things you can do is just kind of pass through, just kind of keep reading and determine that you're not going to be troubled by it, you're not going to think about it, you're not going to seek to understand what that particular statement in Scripture has made. You just kind of read through it and think, well, I'm not going to stop here. I'm not going to spend any time here, and I'm not going to really give this any consideration or this any thought. Another thing you can do is you can be stricken with anxiety and fear. I've had people call me occasionally, and they had read a verse in the Bible and said, oh, my goodness, I just read this verse. What in the world does this mean? Because it had troubled them. It had bothered them. And they were stricken with anxiety. They were stricken with fear. There's some verses in Hebrews like that. I mean, there's some verses you can come across in Hebrews that you'll go, oh my, if that means what it sounds like it means, that's, that's a troubling thought. And there are people that have called me at different times and they were just stricken with fear. They were stricken with anxiety because they thought either that they weren't saved or they thought that possibly they had ceased to be saved because... <laughs> of something that they read in a particular text. And sometimes, you know, some people, they come to a troubling text and they just read through it and don't, don't take the time to even think about it or consider it. Some people, they are just stricken with anxiety and fear when they read it. But the third option, in my opinion, is the best option. And that is to stop and take the time and do the work and invest the energy to try to understand what God is saying because it's there for a reason. None of us would dare sit here and say that there are texts in Scripture that don't give us any trouble, but we do need to understand it's there for a reason. And just because I don't understand it doesn't mean it's not understandable. And just because it may go against something that I thought or something that I believed, or it may be a text that has to be wrestled with or contemplated, and maybe we have to spend maybe a good period of time to try to study and discern what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, that doesn't mean we shouldn't spend that time. We're in too big a hurry. We're in too big a hurry about a lot of things. And one of the things that we're in too big a hurry about is studying the Word of God. Some things have to be thought through. Some things it would be wise to go and read 
wiser people in what they had said about it, like the reformers or like the Puritans or people of that nature. And some things you just need to spend some time and pray about and say, Lord, give me light. Give me understanding. Help me to rightly understand what you're saying to me and how that I'm to understand it. And sometimes we're just in such a big hurry and life is going at such a pace that we come to troubling texts and we either read through them or we're made fearful by them, but we never say, Lord, whatever it takes, I want to spend the time and I want to invest the energy and I want the help of God to be able to understand rightly what you're saying to me through this portion of the Word of God. And I believe, believe it or not, that the verse that we come to this morning is just such a text because it says something that can be troubling. It says something that can cause us to be somewhat concerned about whether or not we're really a child of God. It does say something that caused, that could cause us to be anxious and fearful and to uh, you know, maybe question whether or not we really are his or whether or not we really are walking in the path that will end in the presence of our Lord. And I said that just to try to introduce this verse that we're going to look at this morning. Follow peace or strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness, and here's the kicker, without which no one will see the Lord. And we're going to think about that for a little while this morning. Now, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to consider the context in which this verse comes to us. And first of all, we need to remember that it comes after the encouragements to perseverance that have been given to us in verse 1 through verse 11. Now, remember, I, hate, I don't want to do this and I don't want to like you know, go over this and it bore you every week. But it is important that we remember that there are two great themes to this letter. There are two great things that are communicated. One of them is communicated more heavily in the early part of the letter, and the other is communicated more heavily in the latter part of the letter. And the two great themes are this. Number one, the supremacy, the superiority, and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And the second great theme is the necessity of perseverance and continuing in the faith. Those are the two great themes of this letter that are returned to repeatedly over and over again. Now, the reason that these are the themes is because the letter was written to Hebrews. The letter was written to Hebrew believers. The letter was written to Hebrew believers who were being persecuted and who were suffering at the hands of their fellow Hebrews who were not believers and they were being they were experiencing tremendous persecution and pressure designed to get them to renounce their faith in Christ and to return back into the fold of Judaism to have renounced their faith in Christ would have been to have doomed themselves right because there is no other savior and there is no other salvation to walk away from Christ is to reveal that you've never been his if you walk away from Christ and you never return to him, it just reveals the fact that you never were really his, that he never knew you in the language of the New Testament. So, you know, the Hebrews are just experiencing this persecution. Now, the writer is being moved by the Holy Spirit, number one, to show them the beauty and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and how that 
the law has been fulfilled in the coming of Christ and that the law was just pictures and shadows of the substance and reality which was Christ and that the, the, the person is always better than the picture, right? And, and he's showing the supremacy of Jesus, the sufficiency of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus and their safety and security in having believed in Jesus. But the other thing that he emphasizes is that they must continue in the faith. It's not enough to make a profession of faith. There must be a continuance in the faith. And this is a great tragedy in America. Most people in America have just enough religion to send them to hell. They've made a profession of faith. They've joined a church. They've been <laughs> under the influence of some minister. And they've walked an aisle. They've said a prayer. In the language of the churches I used to be around, they've went through the Romans road. The problem is you can go through the Romans road and not end up in the celestial city unless you've been born again. The reality is this is a real problem and this is the significance of this. To, this is why this is so significant to us Gentile Christians all these centuries later. This is not just an isolated message to these Hebrews that they must continue in the faith. It's a message to all of the church in every generation that it's not just enough to profess to believe in Christ. We must continue in him. We must endure. We must persevere all the way to the end. Now this is important because there are those who will say it doesn't matter. Right? There are those who will say well, it doesn't matter. You made, you're saved. You've been, you, were, you made a profession of faith. You joined the church. You got baptized. And then they divorce that from the rest of the person's life. It doesn't matter how they live from then on out. Not so. That can't be true and the Bible be true. Oh, well, I made a profession of, and I've met people like this. I made a profession of faith. When were you saved? I say 40 years ago. They're living like Satan now. I mean, they're living like an unbeliever now, but they made a profession of faith 40 years ago. There's no, there's no walking with God. There's no brokenness before God. There's no obedience to God. There's no desire for the word of God. And a lot of them haven't darkened the church in decades. And when they die, they put their obituary in the paper. It says they were a member of so-and-so church. And everybody in the community goes, what? Are you kidding me? I, I mean, I worked with that man and I never knew he was had anything to do with the church. Well, he didn't have anything to do with the church for 40 years. And, and, and this is something that we need to think our way through because the faith must be persevered in. And, and, we, and sometimes, listen, there's no one in the world that believes in eternal security more than me. And there's no one in the world that believes in the wonder of election more than me and the security that God has bestowed upon those that he has saved and brought to himself. No one in the world believes that more than me. But you can't divorce that from a life that continues in, in its walk with God. We're not saved apart from persevering. We're saved through perseverance. And by the way, perseverance is not a work of us. It's really a work of God in us, right? And for us and on our behalf. I couldn't keep myself saved till dinner time. And no one can. It's the Lord's grace. It's the Lord's goodness. But there are three in chapter, 13, or chapter 12, verse 1 to 11, there are three Truths that are meant to encourage us in our perseverance. Number one, the cloud of witnesses. There's a whole cloud of witnesses. There's a whole, there's a whole army of those who believed who went before us and who ran the race well. 
and who suffered and persevered and believed God and endured and crossed over out of this life and they have received their reward and proven that God is faithful and God has kept his promise. So he gives us this cloud of witnesses who are spoken to us about with their faith in chapter 11 and their perseverance and their endurance and their overcoming is to encourage us to persevere and to overcome. The other great encouragement or the second great encouragements that's given to us in regards to perseverance is Jesus himself. Jesus himself who what? Endured the cross despising the shame and is sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus himself who endured from sinners hostility against himself. And we are, we are number one, we're to remember this cloud of witnesses and let them be an encouragement to us to persevere. But then we're to remember the captain of our salvation, the author and finisher of our faith, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We're to remember him because he suffered and he persevered and he overcame and he endured. And he sat down in glory in heaven. And we're to remember him so that we don't become faint-hearted and collapse when we're tried. The other great encouragement that's given to us in regards to perseverance is he talks about the way that we're to understand our afflictions. Our afflictions as a child of God are God's discipline. And God's discipline is an evidence that we are his children and that he loves us. He's working out his purposes in us through the afflictions that come into our life. So these three things are given to us at the first 11 verses of chapter 12 to try to encourage us to endure. Number one, look at the great cloud of witnesses who suffered and endured and overcame and they've entered into the presence of God and God has kept his word to them. Look at Jesus, you know, look to him, focus on him who endured suffering and affliction and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God in glory. And also remember that your afflictions are not divorced from the purposes of God. That whenever you're afflicted, it's because God is disciplining you. And remember, Disciplining is not a beating or abuse. Discipline is child training. It's a loving thing, a good thing. And and it means that you're a child of God and it means that God loves you. And that is to help us to endure and to persevere. So this verse that we're looking at this morning, verse 14, remember it comes after these encouragements to endurance and perseverance in verse 1 and 11. Another thing, this verse that we're looking at this morning is joined to the exhortations that we looked at two weeks ago in verse 12 and verse 13, which are what? Lift, therefore, as a result of these encouragements to persevere, therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Then strive for peace with everyone in the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The, the exhortations that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, verse 12 and verse 13, to you know stay in the fight and to stay alert, not to let your hands droop or your knees get weak, to stay 
in the marathon and to keep running. These exhortations are connected to verse 14. Another thing we have to understand that verse 14 is in a paragraph of such exhortations. And that paragraph begins at verse 12 and in the English Standard Version goes to the end of verse 17. There are other things here. See that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Lord willing, we'll look at those on another day. But we have to understand that this verse, verse 14, is in this paragraph of these exhortations that come right after the encouragements to persevere and endure. So we have to understand, if we think of it in that way, we have to understand that verse 14 is saying something to us about persevering. It's something that is vital to perseverance and endurance. Sometimes you read a verse and it seems like it just comes out of nowhere, right? Like it's not connected to what's around it, but it is. It may take us a while to understand how it's connected to what's around it. But rarely in the Bible are you just going to grab a verse and it be completely divorced from what comes before it or what follows after it. And I think that helps us to understand the significance of verse 14. Verse 14 is a vital part of endurance and perseverance. As a matter of fact, Paul, if he is the human author, but ultimately the Holy Spirit, is telling us how we can persevere, how we can endure, how we can continue in the faith. He's warning us about some things that might lead us to stumble and to fall. Now, let's consider the command itself in verse 14. First of all, it begins with strive. The King James Version uses the word follow. Now, this word means to pursue, to seek after, to make every effort to attain. It means, Pink said this, he said the word is a word describing like a hunter seeking passionately and perseveringly after his prey. It's not half-heartedness. It's not, you know, half-trying, you know. Um, it's to run after something with the intent of attaining it and exerting ourselves and doing whatever is necessary so that we attain the thing that we pursue after. Some people do that with a lot of other things, but they, do that, they don't do that over the things that this verse talks about. What is it that you pursue? What is it that you seek after? What is it that you seek with every energy and every exertion to attain? What is it that is the priority in your life and in your heart? The thing that you seek after like a hunter seeks after his prey. The thing that you run after and you're willing to exert yourself and you're willing to expend yourself that you might attain it. 
Well, this is the word. This is the, the word in the original. This is what the word means. And there's all kinds of English words that we use like strive or follow after. To follow means to follow after, to pursue, to run after, to go after. So that the thing can be attained. And the thing can be laid hold of. So we're told here, strive. But we're told to strive for two things. First of all, we're told to strive for peace. We're told to strive for peace with, this is something that gives us trouble, everyone. Everyone. Peace is easy with some people. Peace is not so easy with other people. Now what does this mean? How are we to understand this? Well, it means that we're to always seek after and work for peace with other men. Now this shouldn't be hard for us because this is our calling from our Lord Jesus Christ. Because believe it or not, do you know what Jesus said? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? Sons of God. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Part of the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the Beatitudes Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. They're children of God. It's not that we earn the right to be children of God by being peacemakers. It's that because we are children of God, we seek peace among men. What is being talked about here in Hebrews 12 is that we're to always seek after and work for peace with other men. Now, but there's a problem. And guess what that problem is? Us. And all men. Because if you notice that one thing about a fallen world, one of, the, one of the most marked things about a fallen world full of fallen human beings is that there's always a fuss going on. Everywhere, there's always contention. There's always strife. Contention is not the abnormal and it's the normal in the world that we live in. Now think about it. What marriage? How many of you realized after you got married you didn't marry an angel? You married a human. I mean, that's true. What marriage is not touched by contention or strife at times what family what family is not touched by contention or strife at times where there's disagreements or hurt feelings or different views what family is not touched by what church I mean, when I first got saved I thought everybody in the church had angels wings under their Sunday morning clothes. And it didn't take me long to figure out, whoa, these people are sinners. And I was too, right? And so, you know, one of the great th ways that the, the people of the world, you know, use it as a shield to defend themselves against the gospel is they talk about all the things that are going on over at the church. And a lot of it is terrible, a lot of it is shameful. 
and a lot of it should be repented of and our hearts should be broken over. But I've never known a church. I've never been part of a church in my, what, 40 nearly years of being a Christian and being a minister. I've never been part of a church that there weren't seasons in which there were people who were, there was strife and contention and disagreement and hurt. I've never been part of one. And I don't think I ever will be until I'm in heaven. Another thing. Uh, how many of you have ever noticed that the people you work with are just beasts sometimes? They're just terrible sometimes. And, and they probably think the same thing about you. I've never worked, me and Daniel laugh about it. We talk about it because everywhere I've ever worked, there's always some Castro trying to start a revolution. Have you ever noticed that? There's something that they're discontented about. And there's always a, a Castro or a Lenin who's going around trying to start a revolution. And, and, and before long, and I, listen, I've learned one thing. There's an adage everywhere I've ever worked, don't tell people how much money you make. I'll give you one better than that. Don't you find out how much they're making for your own sake. For your own, for, the, for what's in between your ears. Make it your policy. I don't want to know what else anybody else is making. You know why? Won't be good for you to find out. Because the person that you think is the most useless person there may be making 15 cents an hour more than you and that'll make you want to die. It will just absolutely, because you think you're worth more than them and you may be and you think you're smarter than them and you're more dedicated and you're more faithful. It's better you don't know. I've never worked in a place that there wasn't strife and there wasn't contention and there wasn't trouble. It's just part of living in a fallen world. And the reason it's part of living in a fallen world is because we're all sinful. And our, our depravity gets the better of us, doesn't it? It's just so natural. And the thing we got to understand is that as the people of God, we're called to be of a different spirit. We're called to be peacemakers. We're called to be light in the darkness and to be salt, to be a preservative in the greater society in which we've been placed. We're to be of a different spirit. And I'm going to tell you something. I think the reason that this verse is where it's at and why the Holy Spirit places it where it's at is because He understands something that maybe that we don't understand or maybe that we don't think about. And that is that strife and contention can cause us to stumble in the faith. How many people have walked away from the church and maybe by the demonstration of their life walked away from the Lord because of some hurtful circumstance connected to contention and strife and trouble. I'm not going to the family reunion because the last time I was there, this was said. 
I'm not going back to the church because the last church I went to, this is what happened. See, this is our duty, according to this, this is our duty to the believer and the unbeliever. It's our duty to strive for peace when it's in a relationship with a believer, a fellow Christian, but it's also my duty to strive for peace even in relationships with unbelievers. Remember, what is it? Let me, let me read it, find it so I can read it and not misquote it. But we read it in our responsive reading this morning. But remember what it says in Romans 12? If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. It's our duty to our believing brothers and sisters, but it's also our duty to our unbelieving friends and family and neighbors. Now, this should cause us to examine our engagement with the world. And I'm, I'm going to say something I won't make you mad. I'm not trying to be offensive. And I'm not better than you or smarter than you or anything like that. But I, I quit watching the news because of contention. I quit watching any news. I mean, it's amazing. People tell me things that are going on and I go, I'm like a calf looking at, the, at a new gate. Because everything... I hear it I hear it like old timers used to hear it before there were radios and TVs. Somebody has to tell me. That's how I hear things because I don't I don't watch news. And the reason I don't watch it is because I can't stand the contention. I was watching Fox News one night and they were setting this argument up and I I was sitting there and I realized, well they just they're just setting up an argument for for the purpose of ratings or entertainment or or whatever. Now, I know that there's truth and error, and I know that there's right and wrong. But let me tell you something. I don't think it serves us well to just put our minds in a place where they're exposed to endless contention. And here's why I believe that, because I'm a plumber. And I go out to people's homes, strangers, and I'm all the time meeting old people who've been sitting watching Fox News and they're scared to death and they're angry. They're just, they're either either black hooded monsters are getting ready to come out of black helicopters and take their property away. or And I hear all these theories and, and, and they're just filled with anxiety. And they're filled with anger and, and they're wanting to shoot the, you know, they wouldn't say it, but they want to shoot the president. Or, and, and, and listen, I'm not defending any of the wrong that's going on. I'm just saying, wouldn't it be better for me to look to the king of peace in heaven than to live in this environment of contention nonstop here on earth? don't think it serves us well. And I, I'm saying I don't want to be ugly, but I, the, the church has to be careful that we're not being manipulated by a political party for votes 
instead of standing with our king, Jesus, kind of rising. Now, I know that we're going to be citizens. I understand that. And we have responsibility as citizens, and we have responsibilities to our family. I'm not denying that. But I'm just saying, isn't there a sense that the Christian is supposed to be able to rise above it and get out of the mud and just say, I'm grieved by what's going on, but I'm waiting for my master to come and I'll be okay until he does. You can take that for what it's what it's worth. We need to examine our engagement with the world. Now, let me qualify that with this, because I don't want you to misunderstand. That's not an excuse for spiritual compromise. I mean, I mean, for the sake of not having contention, I'm not supposed to deny the truth, right? And sometimes, because of that, contention is unavoidable, right? So like Paul the Apostle, he didn't go into town trying to start trouble, but he preached the word and trouble found him. Because they hated the truth that he was preaching. So Paul didn't quit preaching because now I just want to get along with everybody. So we have to make sure that we understand it properly. It's the same thing when it comes to obeying the government. We are commanded to obey the government until the government tries to force us to disobey God. Then we have every right, according to the word of God, to disobey the government. But we have to be willing to face the consequences of it. Right? So we need to strive for peace with everyone. Sometimes it's just unavoidable that there be contention. But we don't seek after it. We don't want it. But now listen, I've known preachers that were just troublemakers. And they had this spirit about them that they wanted, they wanted to fight with everybody. Like for instance, when the COVID was going on, we didn't quit having church. And we didn't quit having church for two reasons. We felt like it was the will of God for us to meet. And we felt like the government, according, and I went, I'm going to tell you what I did. I did a crazy thing. I read the Constitution. And guess what? I was right. The government does not have the authority to shut churches down from assembling. And we basically told everybody, if you're not comfortable coming, nobody's going to judge you or think bad about you. We're not going to, do any, and we tried to make provision where people could watch at home, but we met out of personal conviction as to the Constitution and the, and the will of God. But I'll tell you what we didn't do. We didn't get on the news and try to get the state police here to cause a bunch of show. We just wanted to do the will of God. We wanted to be free to do the will of God, but we wasn't trying to start us trouble. We wasn't trying to get attention. And I've known preachers that there are, there's always contention because it's just like Fox News. It gets some ratings. We don't want that. But we don't, we're not going to... I'm going to preach the truth, and if people get upset about that, well, then they'll have to get upset about it. But I'm not going to go out here and just be looking for trouble. I want to be at peace with men. But here's the second thing. Second part of the command is strive for peace and holiness. Holiness is 
being consecrated and devoted to Christ. It's inward and outward. It's inward. It's being conformed and devoted to Him inwardly, but it's also being conformed to Him outwardly. It's a life that manifests a condition of heart or an attitude of heart. Holiness. It's conformity to His will as revealed in His Word. It's a changed life that manifests a transformed heart. Now, we seem to have lost the sense in our day and time of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it seems like you have two extremes. Now, you you think about this, and if you think I'm wrong, you can tell me afterwards. But it seems we have two extremes. We have either outright legalist or we have licentiousness. Licentiousness is, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus and I'm, I do anything I want to do. Legalist is you can't do anything. You can't even smile. It's sinful to be happy. It's sinful to smile. It's sinful to have a good time. Hot dog roast. Can't do that. It's sinful. That's the legalist. You come across people like that. And it's always everything is wrong. You can't do anything. But I'm telling you, those people, those people tear me up. But they don't, I don't know that they tear me up as bad as the bunch that can't find anything wrong. That they're just like the world. They're, I mean, they're just exactly like the world. They have, there's no line that they won't cross. There's no excuse that they won't make. And we know there's a lot of things in the Christian life that the Christian has to go to God and God's word and determine for himself as to whether they're acceptable or unacceptable in their personal life. But isn't it true that it begins with the new birth, but isn't it also true that there should be a progress in sanctification and that that requires some exertion and effort? For instance, you're not going to just sit in the woods and ever understand the Bible. You're going to have to pick up the Bible and read it and study it. Right? It requires some exertion on your part to make any progress in the faith. And let me understand, let me, let me, let me tell you, sanctification, growing in Christ's likeness, growing in our walk with God, growing in our understanding of Scripture, growing in obedience. Growing in holiness, that is something that we should be striving after and longing for and pursuing. And this is a key to perseverance. Because I don't know whether you agree with this or not, but it seems to me in the Christian life, I'm either going forward or backwards, but I'm never static. It's a key to assurance. Do you know that apart from obedience... And being conformed to the image of Jesus, there is no ground for you to believe you're a Christian. It's a key to being assured of your sonship. And it's a key to progress. Now, again, let me qualify this. 
It doesn't say strive for peace with everyone and perfection because that's impossible. That I mean, we're not we're we're never going to be sinless. And by the way, the holiest people think themselves the most unholy because they know the truth about their depravity. The day that someone struts into the room and says, oh, by the way, I've really become holy, you know that guy is an absolute moron. He is absolutely deceived. He is deceived. He's a, Listen, no one holy thinks they're holy. No one holy thinks they're or is self-righteous. You don't walk around thinking, I've arrived, or I've done this, or I've done that. Listen, what little bit, what little of any, if any, in all these years, what little advance I've ever made spiritually has only made me aware more of my need. It's not strive for protection, for perfection, because the flesh shall always be the flesh. But isn't it true that desire and effort determine direction? What do you want? What do you long for? Do you want to be more like Christ? Do you want to be do you want to please him? Do you want him to be honored in your life? Do you want to grow in your knowledge of him and your likeness to him and your love for him and your worship for him? You want to be more of a servant to him and to your fellow man. There's going to be some exertion there. Strive. Strive for holiness. And that brings us to the conclusion of the verse. It's not the conclusion of the argument, but the conclusion of the verse, which says, without which no one will see the Lord. This is connected to the call to strive for holiness. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which the holiness no one will see the Lord. Now that is the troubling statement. That's the thing that you might be reading across and go, whoa, what does that mean? And you've either got to pass on by and not think about it anymore or you've got to be troubled by it, or you've got to say, I've got to understand what this means, and you've got to go to God, go to His Word. It's a sobering statement, isn't it? We're told to strive for holiness, but we're told that if we don't have holiness, we won't see the Lord. How are we to understand it? Well, let me, let me give you three possible views. First of all, some would say it could mean that we'll not see the Lord in the sense of intimate communion with Him. For instance, the believer walks with the Lord and he communes with the Lord. And the Lord makes Himself known to people that desire Him, that hunger after Him, that obey Him. So some might take this verse and say, well, what this means is if I'm not holy, I will never really be able to commune with God and get to know Him and see Him in the sense of spiritual understanding and spiritual illumination. That's one possible view that some might take. Another possible view would be that if without holiness no one would see the Lord displayed through my humanity. 
If I'm not like him, no one will see his glory in me. No one will see his glory through me. But if I'm growing in Christ-likeness and I'm growing in holiness, well then others might be able, the old saying, let others see Jesus in you. Others might see him through my humanity, my redeemed humanity, by the work of his spirit through me if I'm pursuing and attaining in some measure a degree of holiness. That's another view some might take. The third view is that it means that no one will ever see him in the sense of entering into his eternal presence when this life is over, that no one will enter into the kingdom of heaven and no one will enter into his dwelling where he is without holiness. You say, boy, oh boy, which one do you think is the right one? Well, as troubling as it is, the last one. Because even though it's true that none of us can be perfect, there'll be no one in heaven that hasn't been changed. Right? People don't grow at the same pace. Sometimes people don't grow because they're not fed well. Like, you know, a child can be undernourished and underdeveloped. That can happen spiritually, I think, with Christians. I don't understand this because I've been fat all my life. But apparently you can just not eat. And not be healthy. But I've never understood why anybody wouldn't want to eat. I get so much enjoyment out of it. The idea that some of Like people are going to protest by just starving themselves. I wouldn't last a day. I'm going to just... I'm like Gandhi. I'm just going to quit eating and make the world show... I'm going to show the world. They go, oh, hell no. Everybody knows me and go, wait him out. <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll cave. Give him a while. He'll cave. Shake a snicker bar in front of him or something like that. But apparently, you know, you could undernourish yourself and not develop correctly. But you can't be alive and there not be some evidence. Right? I mean, there's no way. There's no way you can be spiritually alive and there not be some evidence. I think what he's saying is the believer is to continue making progress always in holiness and that this is an evidence of their sonship, that they are a child of God, that they really are born again. And the reality is if there's never any progress or there's no desire to be like him, we'll never see him. Because we're not his. I'm certain the last one is in view. Pursuing holiness is a mark of sonship. And holiness and perseverance go hand in hand. Because you've got to go forward or you're going backwards. Perseverance matters. Holiness matters. 
and peace matters. We have worked really hard in our day and time to redefine things. To change, you know, we've got we're living in a day when things have the meanings of things have changed, and one of the meanings of things that changed is what it means to be a Christian, what it looks like to be a Christian. It's been so defined down to where a heathen who plays on a Christian softball team is a Christian. Or, you know, a person that I think Fonda's told me they're in their Bible study in Bowling Green, there's ladies that have made statements that go to churches and they're part of churches and they, but the statement is so non-biblical that it just blows your mind away that here's a person sitting in a church and this is what they believe or don't understand. But you know, we ought to understand that Jesus looked at Nicodemus and told him he had to be born again. Nicodemus didn't have a clue what he was talking about. <coughs> but I know this. The Lord will move into the heart of any sinner that will come as a sinner. Broken, honest, repentant at the end of himself or herself. But when he moves in, the house is never the same after that. Right? And Christians stumble and struggle and sometimes we make progress and sometimes we don't make progress. But the Christian has been changed and will be being changed until they are finally completely changed and glorified. And without that, no man will see the Lord. You agree? Am I right? I knew I was. I just want you to come to see it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love your word. Thank you for it. Thank you for its sweetness, its power, its light, its conviction. And this text has convicted me and caused me to examine my life. And I'm so thankful for that. Help your dear people save sinners for your glory. Amen. All right. Be finding your way to page 158. What can wash away my sins? Is it doing something? Okay. <clears throat>